0: Hello, and welcome to Fun Fact Collectors. I'm Jadrian.
1: And I am Brad.
0: And we're gonna tell you some stuff about a lot of things today. Well, we're gonna mm. tell you a lot of things about one stuff today.
1: You have been hyping it up for of one hour. I have not. I have hour.
0: not. I literally said, <laughs> not hype, but I think it's solid. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that, that's hype.
0: Which is how I would describe this. I think, I mean, it's no sea monsters. hmm But, um, did you say your name?
1: Yeah, oh, okay. I said it it. this time. All right. I Just know who it. I am.
0: Um, That's good. A lot of people don't. So <laughs> congratulations. Um, I'm here to tell you about something that is currently and forever impacting my life. Um, sea monsters. No, I mean, I wish. I'm here to <laughs> tell you about allergies. Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> uh, okay. Yep. So it's, it's kind of interesting, but it's, you know, it's not, it's no sea monsters, but we can't deliver, you know. 150 percent quality every week we have to keep it we have to make sure that we mm-hmm. can continue to top us. <laughs>
1: did you get a sound have the soundboard power
0: wow that's really long applause but i love it was the 36 board. seconds i love the soundboard well let me tell you about allergies yeah so as you know i have many allergies um i take an allergy pill daily so that i can survive in this cruel world <laughs> and we're gonna have a pop quiz name all of jade's allergies go
1: Um, uh, sulfa yeah is that the the big medical one yes bees maybe well on b- well, un- unpasteurized honey slash pollen whatever it is yeah. that, that bee stings and unpasteurized honey will do you. those are the two big ones right yeah yeah and then I'm sure a smattering of other smaller things and like pollen and dust and
0: Yeah. Um yeah. cats, dogs, horses, snow mold, mm-hmm. rum and vodka. What, I'm sorry,
1: snow mold? Yeah,
0: snow mold. You know when snow melts and then you kind of have that like gross like white stuff all over the like wet grass and like wet leaves that were buried under oh, the snow. Okay. Yeah. Not the gross white stuff that is snow. The stuff that's <laughs> there after the snow melt. That is yeah. snow mold. Um, and I'm allergic to it.
1: So is that a real term or is that a, a No, that's G a term. real thing.
0: That's a real thing. Oh, okay. Um, and I'm also allergic to my sweat, but we'll come back to that <laughs> later on. Allergies, I've written, they're very inconvenient. Why God why? <laughs> <laughs> I have always been, I would describe myself as um a child who was perpetually itchy with a constant runny nose and Mm
1: um oh my god who's calling me why every time god of course I knew it I knew as soon as we sat down for this person would call me Mm -hmm. one minute I'll be right back And we're back from that lucrative commercial break, which was somehow sponsored by both Gatorade and Powerade. It's <laughs> nice to see them coming together.
0: <laughs> it's like the barnacle bromance all over again. Um, so in conclusion, today I am Miss Frizzle, and I'm going to take you through that episode of where Ralphie is sick and they enter through his band-aid scab, oh. which is the most disgusting part of the Magic School Bus.
1: Yeah. Good show, though.
0: Good show. Great show. Watch it as an adult. 10 out of 10 uh as per usual my first section is just titled what is (laughs) what is an allergy allergies are one of the most common chronic health conditions in the world and as someone who has had allergies forever i feel like um the mentality around allergies has shifted in the last couple of decades like you'll see in our history section that we actually haven't really known that much about allergies for that mm-hmm. long and we still don't know that much okay. about them and when i was a kid my um sense of the way that we talked about allergies was that it was like ah suck it up and deal with it and whatever rub some dirt on it <laughs> rub and some now dirt it's in the
1: lungs like,
0: it's one of the most common chronic health conditions in the world. And it makes sense because you feel like you're dying. <laughs> it is a health condition and it sucks. Um, so an allergy occurs when an Im- your immune system overreacts to a harmless foreign substance. So the things that you are allergic to are allergens and the process it- itself is an allergic reaction. So, before we can talk about allergies, we obviously have to talk about the immune system. This is a very complex system full of a lot of science. But today, this is the magic school bus. So, we are only getting into the, like, bare mm-hmm. bones, basic level. I am not drawing any, like, a lot of the articles I looked at today had images. The images were just drawings of, like, different chemicals. You know, like the... yeah. The, the angle yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, We're not doing <laughs> that today because I'm Yeah, tired.
1: I'm way more into like, the Osmosis so, Jones level of stuff.
0: Osmosis Jones is the first sub-bullet hey. on this bullet point. So, your immune system is a network of biological processes that protect organisms from disease, you being the organism, by distinguishing foreign substances like viruses, mm-hmm. bacteria, parasitic worms... Uh, but also even, like, splinters and cancer cells from healthy tissue and then prompting a response to protect the organism. Here I have written Osmosis Jones. (laughs) And then also high-level overview in Magic School Bus style. But basically, we are going to use the metaphor of, like, guarding a castle Mm -hmm. as our our metaphor.
1: (laughs) Great English. (laughs)
0: The metaphor will be the metaphor. So... What happens in a healthy immune system when something like a virus enters your body? There's a layered system of defense with increasing specificity. So, first, you have your innate immune system. It's also called your non-specific immune system. This is inherited, it's active from birth, and it does not change throughout hmm. your lifetime. It provides an immediate but non-specific response. And these are anatomical barriers, which can be physical, chemical, biological. But it is essentially um, creating creating barriers, not necessarily taking out the invaders. So examples of these barriers can be like your skin. It is impermeable. That's a you know that's the word <laughs> they use, but realistically, it's not impermeable. Mm-hmm um it sheds regularly to help remove infectious agents that have landed on your skin and it is an environment unsuited to microbes because of the oils that yeah. your skin naturally that's
1: produces. why i don't bother washing because i know that the oil and the the flakes is gonna take it all the way anyway all
0: right all right <laughs> that's disgusting um we're gonna move on Listen, i have a day right you in. don't
1: i win this argument
0: Um, I want to have a bidet, but once again, (laughs) I do not have a toilet that allows for a bidet attachment because the people who renovated my house did it poorly. Oh, cat.
1: Speaking of allergies for you. Yeah.
0: Um, so your gastrointestinal system also has several anatomical barriers that includes your acids and digestive enzymes and your gut flora which I feel like people talk about a lot, but what that means specifically is the microbiome can that includes several different types of microorganisms that live in your intestines, and they secrete toxic substances that will kill foreign invaders, and also they compete for resources with them, and it flushes stuff out of your body. Like, physically, you are moving stuff through your body and then getting rid of it and using your bidet i always
1: like flora Um, like i imagine my gut mm -hmm. as like some like tropical jungle full of like fun flowers and stuff
0: i picture like a tropical cave um i love that there are little microorganisms in there that are just like i'm toxic don't touch me um your respiratory system has several mechanisms like producing mucus, which lines like the inside of all your membranes, and also prompting you to do things like cough and sneeze. Um, And your tears and your saliva also flush out different, you know, bacteria, viruses, that kind of thing from Mm -hmm. your body. So an immune response. Step one, pathogen recognition and activation of immune cells to infection sites. So... Could that
1: be simplified as panic?
0: Um, no. Oh, okay. it's, it's controlled and directed.
1: See, I feel like step one should just be panic.
0: No. <laughs> You're literally a first responder.
1: <laughs> literally not, though.
0: Step one should not be panic. Um, so pattern recognition receptors that are on the surface of cells recognize molecules that are generally shared by pathogens but are distinguishable from host molecules. The host being you, the organism. So, a.k.a. pathogen-associated molecular patterns. So that is PRR and PAMP. It doesn't matter. I just liked PAMP because it's close to P-I-M-P. PAMP. And it's a vibe. So when a pathogen is detected, these cells, your cells, release a chemical factor called cytokines, cytokines, which are small proteins that are used in cell signaling and cell communication. So basically, they allow your cells the ability to receive, process, and transmit signals between their environment and themselves.
1: Do you bring up cytokine storms at any point? No. Can I interject with a fun fact? You may. So the 1919 flu epidemic, incorrectly called the Spanish flu... um, I don't even know what it means, but I just thought it was a cool word. Is the thing that killed a lot of people was an overly aggressive immune response with cytokine storms. So it was mostly young healthy people that died from the 1919 flu epidemic because their immune systems just went so overboard. So mm-hmm.
0: Well, we're going to yeah. talk about immune systems going overboard so using our castle guard metaphor it's basically like the guard who's on watch identifies that an attempted invasion is happening and raises the alarm to call other troops i was picturing um lighting the signal for gondor from the lord of the rings as we've discussed the lord of the rings several times um and i thought that that was kind of fun
1: (laughs) yeah or the uh the opening scene from mulan
0: Yes, yes. Also, that was what I was picturing. Basically, just like smoke signals. Yeah,
1: two classic light thing on fire. Now all of China know you're here moments.
0: (laughs) Yes, exactly. So step two is inflammation. So it is stimulated by cell signaling that we discussed above. And this creates, inflammation creates a physical barrier to contain infection and then promote healing of damaged tissues after the infection has been cleared. Okay. So you probably know some of the symptoms of inflammation. It's like red skin. That is because of increased local blood circulation. Um, Local heat, which is like the section that is inflamed is hot. Or general heat, which is a fever. Um, Swelling, increased mucus production local or general pain, so that would be like pain at the infection site or general body aches like you often get with a fever, and possible dysfunction of involved organs and tissues. So the metaphor here is essentially like a drawbridge is closed, Mm -hmm. barricades are being put up. Um, This is, again, like one of those barriers that is being created. Mm -hmm. Step three is identifying and removing foreign substances via specialized white blood cells aka that other guy from osmosis jones who's not osmosis
1: jones osmosis jones was the white blood cell
0: no he wasn't yeah
1: i'm pretty sure osmosis jones is the white blood cell no, and then his, he partners like, up with like tylenol man
0: ripped man is oh yeah no you're right osmosis jones is the yeah. white blood cell i All saw that right. movie
1: okay. like 21 years ago I've i know what it. it's about <laughs> and we never again that. i think i've only seen I think I might have seen parts of it twice. I don't know that I ever sat down and watched it end to end.
0: Maybe we should watch it.
1: Movie it's night. A
0: okay. So, what ble- white blood cells, aka leukocytes, which their function is not tied to specific organs or tissues, they act more like an independent single-celled organism moving throughout your body, which tracks with the Osmosis Jones-like personality. <laughs> um,
1: independent loose cop don't play by the rules he's a loose
0: cannon um so they can move freely to interact with and capture foreign particles and invading microorganisms so these are all of our different types of soldiers so there's a bunch of different types and i'm going to talk about a few very specific ones because they are important to what we're ultimately talking about which as you may remember is allergies not your immune system (laughs) so one of the big ones is mast cells they live in connective tissue and mucous membranes and are associated with wound healing and defense against pathogens. So when they are activated, they release chemicals to help dilate your blood vessels, which is a sign of inflammation, and recruit phagocytes. Um, also, the some of the chemicals they release is histamine, which you will have probably familiar with that word, and it'll come up several more times talking about
1: yeah, I got the antihistamines allergies. when you're sick. Yes, or stuffy. Exactly.
0: So the mast cell, or the mast cells recruit phagocytes. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but I'm gonna say that I am. So these guys—is
1: it spelled like? Could it be pronounced phage?
0: Phagocytes. Because maybe
1: phages are a thing in like the immune system. Yeah, just cool that's probably word.
0: what it's pronounced as. Um. So what they do? They do a cool sounding thing. They engulf. Pathogens by wrapping a membrane around the particle until it is totally enclosed within them, like within the cell. And then they merge with a lysosome, which contains enzymes and acids that kill and digest the particle. So they're basically, I'm going to zoop you into my body and then we're going to go self-destruct.
1: Yeah, it's so wild that... Uh, we probably get into this part too, or it's out of scope, but like... Um like when you have like cells in your body that other cells in your body go hmm you're not doing what you're supposed to do please kill yourself and Mm -hmm. the cell goes okay
0: (laughs) so these phagocytes also help clean up dead cells Mm -hmm. to allow for healthy new cell growth um we also have basophils and eosinophils e-o-s-i-n i I could look up the words before the podcast i recognize that that would be the professional thing to do but i refuse i'm setting the tone that this is something cute and quirky that i do so that i never have to look them up in the future you
1: always have so many words
0: (laughs) e-o-s-i-n-o-p-h-i-l-s Uh osophils anyway when they're activated they secrete highly toxic proteins that kill parasites but also have a risk of damaging tissue so they are tightly regulated by the rest of the body to prevent inappropriate tissue destruction
1: toxic protein that was my gym name
0: okay now we have um (laughs) another metal sounding one which are called natural killer cells mm. sick
1: okay so wait that's the science name it Was natural killers that's
0: the science name and then they call them nks wow. um that's even so cooler they don't attack invading microbes instead they identify and destroy compromised host cells mm. so basically they are like your little assassin on the inside who's like he's been compromised take him out anyway um, so, for example, tumor cells or cells that have been infected, like, by a virus. So, if after all of this, a pathogen persists... Yeah, sorry,
1: time out. I think, he's, uh, I think he wants out uh, of my room. Oh. He's being real squirrely.
0: Free him!
1: Okay. Come on, Grimothy. Be free.
0: It's our private time for ourselves, once again, where we can talk about whatever we want, because Brad can't hear that? us. You
1: don't have to. Okay.
0: He's talking to the cat. I hope you can but still that's... hear him. That was an option. Goodbye goodbye cat oh no i didn't impart any secrets and now he's back he's sitting down he's putting his headphones on okay so
1: i cut your secret out last time i don't know if you knows. you cut
0: my secret out no (laughs) but i left the secret in the one before and the secret last week was referring to the one before
1: (laughs) actually maybe i didn't i don't know
0: well we'll just have to find out it's a secret for me and the listener (laughs) all right So if the pathogen persists, we move into step four, which is activating the adaptive immune system. So we have your innate immune system, which, if you recall, activates really quickly. You're born Mm -hmm. with it. It doesn't change throughout your life, uh, but it's nonspecific. Well, as you may guess, the adaptive immune system is the opposite of that. It's also called an acquired immune system and it has a longer response time of about four to seven days, but it's highly specific to the particular pathogens that the body has encountered. So this is what you think about when you think about developing immunity, your adaptive immune system, creates immunological memory after an initial response to a specific pathogen, which Mm -hmm. then later leads to an enhanced response to future encounters with the same pathogen. And this memory can last up to a lifetime for some pathogens. Um, A.K.A. this is developing antibodies. Antibodies are also called immunoglobulins. Sick globulins, immunoglobulins. It's Immune so goblin. hard to say. Basically, so these guys travel through your bloodstream, bind to foreign antigens, causing it to deactivate and then preventing the antigen from binding to the host. They just go in, they take them out. These are like your SWAT team, your specialized super soldiers who are going in to do a job and then get out professionally. And this is also the basis of vaccination. Which mm-hmm. we're not going to talk about today, but also is very, very interesting. Um, and also get vaccinated, people. Yeah. Full sentence. <laughs> so these include different types of white blood cells called lymphocytes, which are B cells and T cells. And each of these individual lymphocytes recognizes a different antigen. For example, they're like mumps, B cells and T cells. There are chickenpox, B-cells and T-cells. There are 1919 flu epidemics, specifically that specific strain of flu, B-cells and T-cells. And every, and so basically as if every time you have invaders, you have your people on the front lines who are just like they're always there they're going to try and take Mm -hmm. care of it but also you have a special backup team where it takes them longer to get going but when they come in they do a better job because they are specifically prepared for the invaders who have arrived
1: well speaking of front lines do you know why the 1919 flu flu epidemic is called the spanish flu
0: because spain
1: (laughs) not because it only affected spaniards but because spain wasn't involved in the first world war and so no one involved in the war wants to be like, yeah, lots of our boys are dying in Normandy, not just from being shot, but also from this new mystery disease ripping through people. So the only newspapers it got into were the Spanish newspapers. Mm. So everyone's like, ah, it's it's the Spanish flu, even though it really has nothing to do with Spain. Mm. It didn't start there. I don't think it killed the most people there. It was just that was the first place it was publicized. Yeah.
0: Piggybacking on your fun fact with my own fun <laughs> fact. In the last few decades, we have so actually... We Moved away from naming diseases after the place in which they mm-hmm. were discovered because like COVID nineteen. yeah, because it creates um, huge like bias against yeah, the areas. And there are so many places. That's just how they used to like name diseases. They were like, "Well, I discovered this disease, and I'm next to this river, so we're calling it River Disease."
1: And then what's the Nile one? West Nile virus. Yes, there's and this so and many. That like
0: I would say probably. Yeah. I mean, as an arbitrary thing. Like, it feels like there are probably more diseases named after places than there are yeah. named after anything else. Yeah. So we've got B cells and T cells. So your B cells are your humoral immune response and they activate to secrete antibodies, etc. That's all I've written. Everything else is too complicated and confusing.
1: <laughs> your T cells,
0: it's cell mediated immunity and it doesn't involve antibodies. They recognize non-self targets after antigens have been processed and becomes part of the cell. So you've got two types of T-cells. Your killer T-cells, literally what they're called, they kill host cells that have been infected with a virus or otherwise damaged, and then travel throughout the body looking for infected cells and killing them to prevent them from replicating. Helper T-cells, help determine which immune responses the body needs to create for this particular pathogen. So they don't actually kill infected cells or the pathogen directly, but they control the immune response by directing the cells to perform these specific tasks, which I thought was fascinating. Um, And then step five, repair and regeneration, which involves some of the functions we talked about above the, phagocytes and the t-cells etc we're not getting deep into it because this is not about your immune system it's about allergies
1: i feel like we're already pretty deep
0: we're pretty deep (laughs) but as a review your innate immune system the response is non-specific exposure leads to an immediate maximum response cell mediated and humoral components no immunological memory and that is actually found in nearly all forms of life so that barrier response across the board the adaptive immune system, pathogen and antigen-specific response. There's a significant lag time between exposure and the maximum response. Uh, There are, again, cell-mediated and humoral components. Exposure does lead to immunological memory, and it is only found in jawed vertebrates.
1: That seems so specific. So specific. What what non-jawed vertebrates are there? How do you have bones... But no jaw.
0: Jawed vertebrates. Um,
1: (laughs) Like snakes have jaws.
0: That's correct. Right? Yeah. (laughs) Um, Let's Google non-jawed vertebrates. Hagfish and lampreys. They're the only two groups of extant vertebrates that lack jaws. So anyway.
1: (laughs) So that. But what, why don't they have the adaptive immune system the rest of us do?
0: Because they're lesser life forms because they have not developed a hinged jaw. <laughs> Hagfish get wrecked.
1: <laughs> anyway, Can I start using that as like an insult now. It's like pff, I bet you don't even have an adaptive immune system, <laughs> you unjawed vertebrate.
0: Rare insults.
1: <laughs> okay,
0: back to allergies, which is aka allergic disease um Mm -hmm. so signs and symptoms you probably know have you had allergies i believe so you you've like some scent sensitivity right
1: yeah i get um i don't know how to describe it's not a runny nose it's like a
0: nose membrane inflammation perhaps
1: maybe i feel like my nose is like dry and like you know when like you're like you're swallowing and like not dry but like I don't know. My nose feels really weird. Yeah. I hate it. I get like I get like sudden headaches. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It's only it, it's mostly like aerosolized sense. Yes. So all of my wife's hair products, unfortunately. Yeah. Um. Or I get pretty bad with um, like pollen. Mm-hmm. So like working in a hay field is not very pleasant for me. Yeah. Um. Or even like I this year is the first time I actually wore like A full N95 respirator while I was doing my spring raking mm. um, because, like, all of like the mold spores mm-hmm. and the dust and the stuff that you're stirring up, uh, even if it's not an immune response, yeah, well, like, sorry, even if it's not an allergic response, I'm sure you're still having an immune response to inhaling mold spores, yeah. And I can tell you, uh, very pleasant not having yeah, all being you know, all stuffed up and worked out. I've
0: continued to wear my masks. When I go thrift shopping, because generally mm. those stores are very dusty. There's all different types Musty. of detergents used. Um, so, yeah. Anyway, masks are useful for more than just COVID. No. Um, so the signs and symptoms I have here. Do you know what the difference is between signs and symptoms? This isn't in my notes, but it's a fun fact, mm. once again, from Sawbones. Thank you, I'm Dr. I'm guessing
1: McElroy. signs are things that you present based on the infection disease etc and symptoms are things that manifest from your body's response because i know a fever typically like if you get covid covid doesn't make you have a fever the covid um like disease doesn't it's your body fighting covid you were kind of close
0: with the first part but you totally lost in the second no, part okay so signs are are observable effects. Yeah, symptoms are things that are not observable but are reportable. So, for example, a fever is a. there are signs because you yep. get a high temperature. You have all these other these things that we can measure for a okay. fever. A yep. symp- body aches is a symptom because you, as my doctor, cannot observe me having body aches. Okay. Yeah. So, signs and symptoms include. Nose membrane inflammation, runny nose, sneezing, sinus membrane inflammation, which if you have ever had that happen, just like from a cold or from allergies, oh, it's the worst. You get like that pressure in your face, under your eyes, Mm. just like instant headache. Red itchy eyes, coughing, wheezing, airway inflammation, ear pain and impaired hearing, rashes, hives, contact dermatitis slash eczema. Abdominal pain, bloating, vomiting, diarrhea. Hey, (laughs) Pepto-Bismol. That's not the end of that song, but you know.
1: I'll add that to the soundboard.
0: Perfect. Um, So the severity of your allergic reaction can be different each time. It can be impacted by your general health, stress, medication, exercise, etc., And we believe that repeat exposure can lead to more serious reactions. So, if you have a mild reaction to an allergen at one point, um, for example, especially with like food allergies, if you have a mild reaction to a particular food, there's a chance that it will continue to get worse the more you're exposed to that. I saw some conflicting information about that online. Some people were saying that. It's actually a myth that allergies can worsen over time with repeat exposure. It's just that it's different each time. And so there becomes like this perception that it gets worse because Mm -hmm. the reaction can be so variable. So that's just me putting, giving you the information that's out there. So essentially... What allergies are is a hypersensitivity of your immune system to harmless substances. There are under that category of hypersensitivity within the immune system, there are four different types. We're not talking mm-hmm. about all four types because I'm tired once again. We are talking <laughs> about only type one, which is an immediate slash anaphylactic allergic reaction. It is not confined only to anaphylactic, like severity of allergic reaction, it's just that this is within this type. So there's a fast response within minutes, Um, your mast cells and basophils are triggered, which we talked about previously, and there is a sensitization stage where the host experiences asymptomatic contact with the antigen, and then there's an effect stage where the pre-sensitized host reintroduces the antigen, which leads to a type 1 response, which are those symptoms that we talked about above. I guess I didn't include in my symptoms and signs anaphylaxis, but yes, that can happen. I assume most people know what that is, but if you don't, it's when your airway swells to the point, um, where you can no longer breathe. And then it's a, it's a big emergency.
1: That's through a horrifying part. There was someone who passed away, um, I don't know if they were at home, but it was, it was well before I was even born. So like probably just when we knew or found out that anaphylaxis was a thing Mm. and, uh, they knew they had a fish allergy, like a shellfish allergy. And then accidentally consumed shellfish at a party and, and unfortunately passed away. Mm-hmm. And I remember being absolutely terrified mm-hmm. of shellfish because of that.
0: This is a plot point in Bridgerton. <laughs> where Bridgerton is set in the Regency era, which is like turn of the century eighteen hundred. Oh, I was
1: thinking, what's the stupid archie one?
0: Oh, Riverdale. Uh, no. Yeah. Bridgerton is set so in the Regency that. era.
1: Okay. And
0: As you will see, again, in our history section, like we really we didn't know anything about allergies at that point, basically. Um, And the main character's father dies very young after getting stung by a bee. And they're like, how could a bee take down like a grown man? (laughs) And then the guy has like this huge phobia of bee stings because Mm -hmm. of that. Um, which might have been a good instinct for him to have because allergies are very frequently genetic, but we'll get into that. Yay. So common antigens, which are the things that prompt the allergic response, include food. You already mentioned one shellfish, other things like nuts, eggs, soy, wheat, Um Mostly, it relates to specific types of proteins. Once again, once I got into it, it was so much science that wasn't really adding anything to our Mm -hmm. fun facts that I kind of just skipped over it. But here are some fun facts that I will hit you with. Um, 90% of food-related allergies are cow milk, soy, eggs, wheat, peanuts, tree nuts, fish, and shellfish. Other rare food allergies affect less than 1 in 10,000 people, for example... Mm -hmm. My aunt is allergic to raw apples. (laughs) Cooked apples breaks down the protein
1: through the cooking
0: process. So she can eat apple pie, but she can't pick an apple off of a tree and eat it.
1: (laughs) Well, and we knew a girl in university, too, who was allergic to, like, a certain, like, orange food dye. Yeah,
0: yeah. Most common is shellfish allergy, as you already Mm. mentioned. Um, And children can actually outgrow peanut allergies. Hmm. And they outgrow a lot of other types of allergies as well. Um, 1-2% to of children have egg allergies, but of that percentage of the population, two-thirds of them outgrow it by the age five.
1: Hmm.
0: With milk, milk allergy is most common in children. About 10% of children with a milk allergy will also have a reaction to beef. Hmm. And allergens can be transferred via genetic engineering, but... Genetic, genetic engineering can also remove allergens.
1: Okay. Now, question about milk. Is lactose intolerance We're going allerg- to get there. Okay. okay. I'm very
0: excited. I just, this is kind of like outside of my usual, I feel like I have a very clear structure when I approach doing these notes. And this time I didn't. It's kind of like, here are five different topics that could come in any order. So <laughs> here's where we're at. But going back to the genetic engineering, we talked about that in the history of genetically modified food, where Mm -hmm. there was a lot of concern that if foods, particularly produce that is sold in grocery stores, is not marked as having been genetically modified, then an allergen could be introduced into a product that someone wouldn't know that they had. They could Mm -hmm. eat a flavor saver tomato and not realize that it had been altered with something they were allergic to.
1: Um, Yeah. Like, like tree nut protein for some reason.
0: Yes, for whatever reason. I don't think actual <laughs> cases of that are common or possibly have ever happened. It was just one of those things that people raised concerns about. But we can actually genetically modify our food to remove allergens, which is pretty sick
1: but now i kind of want to see a food that's genetically engineered to have as many allergens as possible i just want to know what it's like well
0: the problem is that an allergen can be almost anything these are no, just no, the like, most common ones
1: yeah, yeah yeah like take me make me something that that combines... so you want to
0: take mr peanut and you want to put him in a lobster outfit and you want him to like spray himself down with like pollen cologne and yeah bathe in milk perfect (laughs) um so animal sources very very
1: much very much textbook your scientists were so worried about whether they could they didn't stop (laughs) to think that they should except this is they thought of they should and they knew they shouldn't but they did it (laughs) anyway made Mr.
0: Peanut too powerful (laughs) All right, that one really got you. Okay, animal sources. <laughs> Bees, wasps, which I didn't know you could be allergic to, but that's great because mm. probably my luck. Um, cats, uh, anyway, so. insects, rats, etc. And then in just in brackets, I wrote me because I'm allergic to like all animals. Anything <laughs> that has fur, most often with um like dogs and cats and stuff you're allergic to the dander and to the saliva like enzymes in their saliva not really to their fur yeah Uh, but anyway that's uh well
1: my aunt and uncle's like hypoallergenic golden doodle Mm -hmm. her saliva just does not mix well with me
0: yeah yeah there's all kinds of stuff and hypoallergenic is kind of a misnomer etc etc so stings from like bees or wasps typically inject venom whereas a bite say from i don't know a rat or something or what types of things a snake i don't know i guess snakes inject venom but a bite typically introduces anticoagulants which prevent clotting you might also think of them as blood thinners but that is Mm -hmm. also a misnomer again shout out to sawbones (laughs) just really listened to a very interesting episode about blood thinners environmental factors like we talked about dust mites pollen mold um latex is a big one um dust mites aka house dust allergies is actually an allergic reaction to the droppings of house dust mites so huh. the mites guts contain potent digestive enzymes that uh. then are put into their feces and then induce the allergic reaction
1: i don't like that
0: latex here's an interesting fun fact we'll just slide right past the mite poop um, less than 1% of the general population has a latex allergy, but there is a higher sensitivity in healthcare workers, somewhere between 7 and 10%, due to a higher level of exposure. Okay. So because people who work in dental offices, hospitals, doctor's offices are more exposed to latex both in contact with their skin and latex particles aerosolized in the environment that they're breathing air in, they have increased sensitivity, which sucks because it's like, well, you have to be around this thing more than other people, and also now you're more likely to be allergic to it.
1: Yeah, I thought we mostly got away from using latex gloves and stuff, and now everything's... uh,
0: Probably, probably. Yeah. Also another fun fact, latex allergy may be cross-related to sensitivity or allergy to bananas, avocados, kiwi fruit, and chestnuts. I don't know why. I'm just
1: here to tell you this. You're just bringing the fun facts. There's
0: also atopic diseases, which include allergic asthma, allergic rhinitis, which is like nose stuff, conjunctivitis, eye stuff, dermatitis, skin stuff, and then medication induced reactions, which is primarily antibiotics. And then I wrote me, sulfa, because sulfa drugs are a category of antibiotics. There was a drive-by on... I can't remember if it was Wikipedia or one of the government sites I was reading. But this is like such a a science drive by. Okay. 10% of people report they are allergic to penicillin, but 90% of those turn out to be false.
1: <laughs> I don't I
0: don't know. I don't know. A, a peer-reviewed paper was cited, but I didn't read it. And then there are serious penicillin allergies in about 0. of the population. But this also includes things like poison ivy, poison oak, poison sumac, etc., which cause T-cell mediated immune responses. About 25% of people will have a strong reaction, but also there are some people who are immune to the oils that are on poison oak and sumac and stuff, um, and they don't have any allergic response. So for diagnosis... Have you had any experience with allergy diagnosis?
1: Not me personally. And only like distant third hand through you.
0: Okay. So there are a few different types of tests. The most common one I would say is the skin prick test, Mm -hmm. which is where a series of tiny punctures are made in the skin and then tiny amounts of the suspected allergens are introduced to the site and it's usually on like your arm or on your back. And if you have an allergic response, there will be visible inflammation within about 30 minutes, <laughs> and they will grade it on a scale on a scale of severity of reaction, and they will also measure the size of the hive that you develop, if you de- develop any. Um, and then I wrote, I've had this, and it sucks. <laughs>
1: it seems like the least scientific test. It's like, hey, we're going to see how strong your bones are. By throwing you off the top of the building and seeing how badly your legs break.
0: It feels (laughs) like there are lots of things where they have a very long medical history. And we will look at the things that they did in the 1600s (laughs) and be like, ugh, that sounds like the worst. This is our version of the 1600s (laughs) test for allergies. These, uh, as far as I know, are not super reliable and Mm. because there's they're just grading it on like severity which could be subjective depending on who your allergist is etc etc um fun fact about me i had this done and had an allergic reaction to every single thing they pricked me with um some more severe than others and that was when I found out that I'm probably allergic to bees about three weeks after I got a bee tattoo. Mm-hmm. So the allergist laughed me out of his office. <laughs> um, he thought that it was great and I should amend the tattoo to get like a big X through it or be like, just put like no bees. But I have not done so.
1: But yeah, let's put you a know, up on the, uh, Instagram.
0: confluence of events. Um, patch testing is kind of similar to skin prick testing. Um, but it tests for a delayed reaction. So what they do is they have adhesive patches that are treated with allergens and they apply them to your back and then they examine for reactions at about like two days and then four days okay. to see. So you don't get poked. I guess it's better <laughs> somewhat, but you got to keep it on for longer. They can also do blood testing, which seems to be the superior way to go. Yeah. This is how they test for food allergies because it's much safer if you have an anaphylactic response.
1: Yeah, I can because see what they why. do...
0: They take a blood sample and they send it to a lab for analysis, and they can detect multiple antigens, like test for multiple antigens using a single sample. So I don't know why we don't always do this. Yeah. Apparently, the article I was reading said that the efficacy between skin prick test and blood test was about the same, and the cost to produce them was about the same. So I don't know why we're torturing ourselves. <laughs> and then, just
1: aller- allergists or sadists. For yeah, for real. They. Just, I got one. into
0: this job to prick everybody. Um, elimination pricks, eh? testing. Yeah, <laughs> that's how I would describe them. Um, sorry to all of our allergist listeners. I know we're really big with that demographic. <laughs> um, elimination testing is for foods. You've probably had somebody in your life that has gone through this before. You have to slowly and precisely eliminate different foods to see if there's any improvement in your function, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, or some of them will start the other direction where you start with a very, very limited diet and then slowly reintroduce foods. So in terms of management, the good news is we do have some medication and medication has come a long way since I was a child. Antihistamines, which you talked about earlier, this would be things like brand name Claritin. Uh, I take one of these literally every single day because otherwise I will die. So they block Histamine, which is the chemical released in an immune response, which causes itchy nose. Nope. Causes itchy eyes, runny nose, sneezing, etc. A different type of medication are called glucocorticoids, which is a steroid hormone. And it binds to certain types of receptors to reduce those aspects of the immune response.
1: Okay.
0: Epinephrine, which I'm sure you're familiar with. Mm. That's adrenaline. The brand name for that that you would recognize would be an EpiPen. Mm -hmm. And it is used in an anaphylaxis situation um, because it relaxes the muscles in your airway to make breathing easier. And it increases blood flow to muscles, your heart output, pupil dilation, blood sugar. It just basically gives you like a big old boost Mm -hmm. to give you time to get to medical treatment. I have an EpiPen and I carry it on me most of the time. And yet every time it ever seems to come up that I might need it, which is thankfully, I've never had a close call. Mm-hmm. Um, but I never seem to have it on me because I'm a very bad little delinquent. Um, and then mast cell stabilizers, we talked about mast cells above, they block mast cell degranulation, which is the process that the mast cell undergoes when it is prompted to do an immune response um, and basically prevents the release of histamine as well. Okay. But it's not an antihistamine. It's a different type of medication. There's also immunotherapy, which can be useful for environmental allergies and allergies to insect bites, but is definitely not recommended for food allergies because basically what it is is exposure therapy. Okay, They introduce you to increasingly um, larger amounts of allergens mm. to over a period of time to hopefully change your immune response the same way
1: one builds immunity to iocane powder
0: yes exactly (laughs) um i've seen people do this for things like cats and dogs so like one partner really wants to get a kitten the other partner is really allergic so they'll start doing exposure therapy to try and make it possible for the kitten to (laughs) be in their house (laughs) um causes why do we have allergies that was the opening Uh, statement here why, God? Why? Why have you done this to me? Well, we don't... The answer is we don't really know. <laughs> there are a lot of factors that will help determine your likelihood of having allergies. So there are host factors, which include things like the hereditary aspect. This is the most significant aspect Um, of identical... Identical twins are likely to have the same allergic disease 70% of the time. (laughs) I would have expected 100% of the time, but I guess whatever. Um, That's 40% in fraternal twins. Allergic parents are more likely to have allergic children. And allergies that allergic children have are likely to be more severe if their parents had allergies as well. Mm -hmm. If their parents did not have allergies, the child's allergies are likely to be less severe. And the likelihood of developing allergies is inherited, but the specific allergen is not.
1: Oh, okay.
0: Yeah. It just has to do with, like, your immune response and how sensitive it is, not with what it is sensitive to.
1: Okay. See, I I choose to imagine allergies as, um, you know, clamps from futurama no i don't think
0: so i don't think so you know clamp bot well you've said it three times and i'm not recognizing the name (laughs) so i'm gonna need a little more to go off
1: you don't know about clamp bot it's it's futurama he's in the mob he's got clamps his whole thing is going clamps (laughs) uh anyway he's very eager to clamp people (laughs) okay Uh, anyway this is a poor analogy, So though.
0: how is that like this?
1: Uh, well, because your immune system is like clamps, in which it's always looking for something to clamp. And uh, if you're not getting sick, it's like, oh, look, peanuts. Let me get it with the clamps.
0: That is a theory, actually. Yeah. And we're going to get to that. I guess,
1: yeah, that would make sense, too. You know, It's like if your parents are severely, severely allergic, you're more likely to. You know your immune system's like, let me find something. I'm I'm so I'm the best at, at destroying stuff. Find me something to destroy. Oh, look at this insignificant thing. I will end you.
0: <laughs> so basically, like your immune system is like, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger on steroids stereotype from the eighties, yeah. where it's just like roid rage yeah. all the time. All right, Punch holes um, through drywall. Full we'll Kyle get move. to the theories. For the changing frequency that we see in allergies in this day and age. Um, But we also believe that there are some not causal, but what's the other one? Um, You know the word I'm thinking of.
1: Like causation versus correlation?
0: Correlation. There's some correlation between other host factors like sex, race, age with age the highest levels of allergic sensitization is under age 10, and then it decreases rapidly between age 10 and 30. So, I definitely, uh, in my late teens, felt like my allergic reactions were getting less severe. And I'm really keeping my fingers crossed that, like, the day that I turn 30, the rest of them just disappear.
1: Because
0: <laughs> it's just, it's so frustrating. Um, There are other environmental factors that we believe may impact it, including exposure to infectious diseases during early childhood, environmental pollution, allergen levels. So that's like things like um, people who otherwise don't experience allergies may experience an allergic reaction on the three days of the year when the pollen count is the highest. Dietary changes and then also stress. Stress won't cause allergic reactions, but it impacts your immune, like your
1: Mm Physiological self.
0: Yes. And so it impacts your immune response to different things. That's why, like, often when you're sick, if you're also stressed, you will be more sick because your immune response is more
1: stressful. Well, thank God we're never, ever stressed.
0: Mm. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So theories for changing frequency. One of the theories is that we have increased exposure to perennial perennial in this situation had to look it up because i'm just used to plants perennial means something that goes on for an infinite time
1: that yeah that's what that's what it means in plants
0: yeah but i just always thought like you know when i think of it in plants it's like it comes back year after year you
1: know what i mean
0: not like it's constant Mm -hmm. but perennial in this thing can mean it's constant anyway so exposure increased exposure to perennial allergens due to housing changes where we spend more time inside (laughs) also dietary changes obesity a decline in physical exercise but the most popular and the most founded theory is called the hygiene hypothesis The theory is that individuals living in too sterile of an environment are not exposed to enough pathogens to keep their immune system busy. So the immune system becomes hypersensitive to harmless Mm. antigens. And then I wrote, I guess because it's bored.
1: (laughs) That's what I said.
0: That was what you were saying. This is the hygiene hypothesis. So it is observed that hay fever and eczema are less common in children from large families where children would be exposed to more infectious agents through siblings. Whereas if you have an only child, they are more likely to have hay fever, eczema, etc.
1: There's the stupidest thing. Oh, you're not sick enough? Oh, you're too healthy? Mm -hmm. Guess what? You're going to be more sick now.
0: It's also used to explain um, an increase in allergic diseases seen since industrialization. So, immunological and autoimmune diseases are less common in developed times and in developed areas than in an industrialized world. So, immigrants who come from a less developed Uh, area of the world. Did I say that wrong? I think
1: you said developed and you meant developing.
0: No, sorry. What I mean to say is that in 100 years ago, 200 Mm. years ago, like, less developed times. Yeah. Um. And also areas of the planet currently that are less industrialized, Mm -hmm. autoimmune diseases and immunological diseases are less common Mm -hmm. in those less industrialized times and places. Immigrants who come from a less industrialized area of the world Mm -hmm. and then move to an industrial area of the world. Mm will sometimes develop immunological disorders that are relational to the length of time that has passed since they arrived in the industrial area.
1: Interesting.
0: Yeah. And there is also a higher rate of allergic disease in urban populations versus rural populations. Hmm. So, and I realize perhaps I should have put the history above, but we're getting into the history now. It's very short, as I've discussed. Way, way, way back members of the Julio-Claudian dynasty. Do you know what this is?
1: I have no idea.
0: It's the first five Roman emperors. Oh, okay. The Julio-Claudian dynasty. Yeah. So members of of this dynasty, Augustus, Claudius, and Britannicus, were suspected to have genetic tendency towards allergic disease. I don't know why, but these guys got allergies, and it just goes to show you can be an emperor of Rome (laughs) and still be brought down by a common sniffle. Um, There are symptoms recorded across texts, across history in the world, but really we don't start to make advances until the 1800s. 1819, John Bostock isolates and describes hay fever as its own condition for the first time. Before that, it would be like, oh yeah, I get this fever every spring. That's life. (laughs) He is like, no, actually... These symptoms are part of this specific condition. 1860s, Charles Harrison Blackley discovered the mechanism behind hay fever and connects it to pollen. So before that, theories were that hay fever was related to heat or related to ozone causing like hay fever symptoms and he figured out, no, it's pollen. And bringing us back to the barnacle bromance, um, Charles Harrison Blackley actually corresponded with Darwin. And Darwin was a big fan of his. And Darwin wrote to him and basically said, hey, have you thought about how there's different methods for pollen distribution? Like, Mm. for example, windblown versus carried by insects. And they were like, oh, that's so cool. And then they just wrote back and forth a whole bunch and had a great time.
1: What, no barnacles this time?
0: No, no barnacles, just pollen. 1906, the word allergy is coined by Viennese pediatrician Clemens von Pirket, who noticed that patients receiving injections of smallpox vaccine had a quicker, more intense reaction to a second injection of smallpox vaccine. So we developed vaccines... The first vaccine mm-hmm. before we had a full understanding of why the vaccine was working and absolutely before we understood what allergies were. Wild. And I would argue that we still don't even really understand what allergies are. So the word allergy comes from the ancient Greek words for allos, meaning other, and ergon, meaning work. He picked a bad word. It could have been more interesting. No, no
1: it's just, it's, it's your, your... Your immune system on that Sigma Hustle Grind set, rising, grinding, (laughs) finding a side hustle, which is attacking innocent allergens.
0: Innocent allergens (laughs) who just showed up to party. And so he helped identify the immune system response, a.k.a. the antibody-antigen interaction, Osmosis Jones style. 1948, the first steroid corticosteroid...
1: Corticosteroid? Oh, I thought I could say it. Oh,
0: you're so confident.
1: No, damn it. Because I, I can picture anyway. Kevin saying it in Brooklyn Nine-Nine.
0: First one, successfully used to reduce inflammation in an asthma attack. And from there, there was a big concern about allergies. And so all of these different household products were developed, anti-allergy marketed products. For example, like special washing powder for doing the laundry. 1950s, mast cells were discovered. 1963, that four-type classification that I talked about above, where allergies are type one, was designed by Philip Gell and Robin Coombs. So, like I said, type one is now what we refer to as allergies, Mm -hmm. and all forms of immune hypersensitivity were just originally classified as allergies until these guys broke it out into different types uh 1967, immunoglobulin, I guess, uh, immunoglobulin E, antibody <laughs> responsible for most allergic reactions, was identified. And in the mid-1970s, the epinephrine auto-injector, a.k.a. what we call today, broadly, the EpiPen, was created and it was brought to market in 1983. So, as you can see, the history of our understanding of allergies is very short, which makes sense why all of the articles and the Wikipedia pages and everything that I read would be like this is what we think, but we don't know. This is what we know, but we don't know why it does this. Isn't
1: that just science?
0: <laughs> we know how it does it, but we don't know why. Um and my final section for you here is allergy-like episodes and false allergies. Mm. So, here are some things that are not allergies. Celiac disease, which is often described as a a gluten allergy. Mm -hmm. This is actually type 4 of the immune hypersensitivity typing, um, which is a delayed cell-mediated immune memory response. So, what happens is helper T cells are activated by the antigen, When it sees the antigen again in the future, T-cells with memory will activate the phagocytes and cause inflammatory response that can lead to tissue damage. Also includes chronic transplant rejections would be under this type. So, like, if you keep getting kidney replaced and your body keeps rejecting it, this would be type 4 immune hypersensitivity. Um, Lactose intolerance, which you asked me about earlier, is not an allergy. Hmm. It is caused by a lessened ability or total inability to digest lactose, hmm. which is the sugar in dairy products. Okay. So it's not an allergy. It's due to the absence of the enzyme lactase in your small intestine, which is what breaks lactose down. So if you are lactose intolerant, you don't have the enzyme, you can't break down the sugar. Bada bing, bada boom. I wanted to talk to you today about probably my most interesting allergy, my sweat allergy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so what this is, it's not clear to me if it is a true allergy or if it is an allergy-like hypersensitivity immune response. Okay. Because we really don't know that much about it. Mm-hmm. But what we do know is that it is essentially an exacerbation of atopic dermatitis, a.k.a. eczema. Or atopic eczema. Eczema covers lots of other things. So that can cause long-term inflammation of your skin, causing itchy, red, swollen, cracked skin. that can sometimes ooze clear fluid. That's great. Yum. And it can cause the thickening of skin once it, like, heals over.
1: Mm, the thickening. And it
0: tends to happen behind your knees, in your elbow folds, on the back of your neck, on your wrists, um, and can also affect other body parts. The cause is unknown. It's believed to involve genetics, uh, immune system dysfunction, environmental um, exposure, and difficulties with the permeability of your skin. So how much your skin can actually absorb is thought to be part of it, but it's not contagious. So what happens is that sweating triggers a cholinergic urticaria, aka hives, which is caused by an increased body temperature which can be related to exercise, sweating, heat exposure. They're also called heat hives. So you can have this you can have heat hives without having this sweat allergy, okay. but if you have the sweat allergy, you will get heat hives okay. as well. Um and the allergy is not is thought to not be due to the sweat itself, but to an allergy producing protein which is secreted by bacteria found on your skin. So when you sweat, you it, it dissolves these bacteria, they produce these protein, and then you have an allergic reaction. Hmm. I discovered that I had this as an adult in university when I was at the doctor who was encouraging me to exercise more. And I said, I just hate it because every time I sweat, I break out in hives <laughs> and I get really, really itchy and it's like really, really painful. And her son actually has this condition, which was the only reason why it kind of like sparked her to hmm. realize that there was something you can do okay. about it. So most of the reason that I take an allergy pill every day is because if there is a possibility that I will sweat, I will be so extremely physically uncomfortable. I also just have like general skin itchiness. I can't stop scratching my arm this week. My whole left arm is just like itchy. Mm-hmm. And it's weird when you have tattoos cause it makes your tattoos raise. Uh. So it's kind of spooky. <laughs> It's like having like a, like a 3D, yeah, 3D effect. But it's bad because then I scratch the tattoos Mm. and then that's bad for the tattoos. But when I was a kid, I can vividly remember, I used to go to this babysitter in the summers. She would only let us in one room of her house or we could be outside and she had no air conditioning and there were like seven kids in this one little carpeted room that had the sun shining in the full day and I would sit on my knees and behind my knees would sweat, mm-hmm. and it would just hive and crack and, like, ooze the clear liquid. I don't know what it is. Yep. And, like, the insides of my elbow still, it's all just, it's all bad. It's deeply uncomfortable. If this is ringing any bells for you, maybe talk to your doctor. You can take an allergy <laughs> pill every day, and you'll probably be fine. But sweat allergy leads us into water allergy. <laughs> Have you ever encountered <laughs> anybody who has this? No. No. I had a kid in my elementary school who said he was allergic to water, and we were like, okay, we're all going to bully you about it, obviously, (laughs) because this is the third grade, and we're all terrified. But this is a real thing, which we, again, don't know that much about. It's aquagenic uticaria aka water allergy which causes hives to develop on the skin after contact with water regardless of the temperature or of the form so tap water seawater swimming pool sweat tears saliva in severe cases drinking water can lead to a swelling in the mouth and throat and even anaphylaxis
1: that seems terrifying
0: And it's not fully understood, but the theory is that there is an interaction between the water and a component on the skin, possibly a water-soluble antigen or sorry, allergen, which is then absorbed and then causes the mast cells to release histamine. But again, we really don't know. Uh, dermatographic urticaria. If you've ever seen this, it's an allergic reaction to being touched or scratched. So you can actually see images online where someone who has this can write on their skin with their finger, like their fingertip, and it will swell into hives that are shaped like the thing that they've written. (sighs) Spooky. I had a pet rat for a while, but I was so allergic to him. And when he would walk up my arm a couple of minutes later, you could see hives in the shape of little footprints.
1: I have a cat right now that when he claws me, my hand swells up from his claws. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's just that's just kitty love though. Mm. The final one I have for you today is sun allergy, which is again a real thing that we don't know that much about. Solar euticaria is exposure to ultraviolet or UV radiation or sometimes just visible light can cause reactions it causes like hives like we talked about that's what that urticaria means and it can be a reaction to sunlight or just to artificial light sources that emit uv wavelength and it is very painful and debilitating because yeah. what are you going to do sit in a dark room like you can't function And I have so much sympathy for people who suffer from that, because as I have already established, allergies are the worst. We don't know why they happen. The treatments are not perfect. The diagnosing techniques that we have at our hands are rudimentary. Why, God, why?
1: Yeah. Wild.
0: That's the end of my presentation for you today.
1: (laughs) I just wanted to throw it real quick, because I I said that the word phage exists, and uh, I'm just kind of scraping my brain hole here. And also now furiously looking at Wikipedia. But I just remember hearing and reading about like phage therapy being a thing in like the Soviet Union. Looks like it was after the Second World War. And I think it was because, because why? I don't know. Whatever it is, I I think the uh, the overarching theme is that because, you know, they, they were a little cut off from uh, Western medicine and antibiotic research they went heavy on this phage thing uh but it seems now that like phage therapy is kind of making a little comeback in the broader scientific community because you can use it in place of antibiotics sometimes which helps reduce the the problem of like antibiotic resistant stuff not super related to this but just i don't know it sounds neat yeah
0: i think i actually listened to a sawbones episode Ah, about this of course, of course! They cover everything. And it's, I don't know, it's good science. Speaking Recommend. Yeah. Speaking but of... But listen to our podcast first. Of course,
1: yeah. <laughs> Finish the next, like, two minutes of this, and then go soft on Yeah, once. Yeah. Um, one thing, because we... I didn't write this down, because why would I? But we start chatting immediately after we finished recording of last week's EV episode, and I was like, oh yeah, I forgot to talk about this thing, and was it just, like, the physical charging ports?
0: I don't remember. <sighs>
1: I, should, I need to take notes. Anyway, I think I forgot to talk about the charging ports on cars. Because that's another thing. And basically, all you have to know is if you're not buying a Tesla, you can charge with any level 1 or level 2 charger. Because they all have the exact same uh, thing on the end of it. Mm-hmm. Every car takes it. Even Tesla gives you an adapter so you can use it. And then if you're looking at like the DC fast charging level 3 stuff tesla is its own thing and then basically every car besides the nissan leaf is the is the one actual real standard that we're going to use forever or for a long <laughs> is time is
0: tesla just the apple of
1: pretty much EVs. pretty much hmm. um which yeah com- comes with good and bad like like we talked about all the good where it's like it's such a seamless experience but also you beheld into to elon's will so <laughs> this
0: is the same thing as apple <laughs> yeah 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 the same flaws um yeah, that was a good episode. I'm fully convinced
1: now. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, have, have you bought an EV in the last week?
0: No, I oh, haven't. Uh, you know what I did buy what? in the last week? A metal detector, <laughs> <laughs> a $500 metal detector. Your husband? Didn't, um, what, did you
1: guys buy this?
0: like two days ago because i was talking about how much i love metal detecting content on instagram and youtube and i and also magnet fishing fascinating um and how i've wanted to buy one and then i was like maybe i'll buy myself one i have christmas money left and was looking at different models and the i hate researching products to determine what the best I one is. Could have done goodbye. this for you.
1: I could have done a whole oh, I episode on mail detecting. I do
0: like ten minutes of research and then I go. Oh my. But here's the trick. It'll take my husband forever to listen to this, <laughs> so I still have a few weeks to like get this out. I start looking at something I want to buy that I know that he's probably slightly interested in. And then I go, yeah, I think I'll buy this one. He goes, well, why are you going to buy that one? I was like, yeah, you know, I read a couple of lists and this is a, this a good one for this reason. And then he goes so deep into it that he finds the best mm-hmm. one, including consulting with specialist experts who were at an event that you guys were yeah. at over the weekend. Yeah. and determined which one that we should buy based on that yep. and now we have ordered it. it is coming from a specialty shop in ontario wow. it should be here sometime in the next few weeks and i did not know this but the land that my husband's parents live on mm-hmm. used to be a carriage house for the stopping point between two major cities i didn't know that yeah and so when they did a bunch of a bunch of landscaping when he was a kid and took out like a bunch of wooded area. They found like old coins, horseshoes, huh. all this really cool stuff. Why so now talk. we're gonna go out to his parents' house and we're gonna metal detect around and we're gonna find some cool stuff. And I'm gonna go to the beach. I'm gonna get one of those shovels that has all the holes in it. It's like a little scooper. It comes with uh, a <laughs> pointer, which if you don't know what that is, it's like a little tiny metal detector that's about the size of a flashlight. So you. Find your area and then you dig stuff up and then you kinda move mm-hmm. through your pile that you've dug okay. with your little mini Yeah, to find um, part of this pile. Metal detector to find the little thing you're looking for. Huh. Anyway, I'm very excited. Did not buy a car, did drop a considerable amount of Christmas <laughs> money on a metal detector.
1: Well fun.
0: I will report back. Maybe we'll do a future episode on metal detection.
1: Alright. I, I will let you write that episode. I will Perfect. steal this from you.
0: I am a little treasure goblin, and I don't care what the treasure is. I will find it. (laughs) It could just be a nickel. I'll still be thrilled.
1: (laughs) Well, that's good.
0: All right. See you next week.
1: If you like this episode, feel free to subscribe and leave us a review.
0: You can find us at Fun Fact Collectors on Instagram and Twitter. If you have suggestions for future episodes or just want to share your favorite fun fact, feel free to send us an email at headnerds at funfactcollectors.com.
1: If you're interested in learning more about today's topic, check out the show notes. This has been Fun Fact Collectors. See you next week.
0: See you next week.